Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. I just want to be up front. Pastor Brandon kind of brought this concept and, and this outline, and he's been walking our teaching team through it week after week. And it's been such rich discussion with all of us as we kind of take a fresh look at what Scripture <clears throat> says to all of us as, as Christians, and particularly in us recovering or coming back out of, and, and for some people, relearning the rhythms of what COVID, you know, quarantined us away, and now we're re, relearning and rediscovering what God's called us to. And, and so I, I, I was sitting on the front row for week number one, and, and he introduced it and said that we're all called to lead, but he quickly qualified it and said, we're not talking about the world's, you know, uh, definition of authority and role and title and position. And we're talking about we're all called to lead because we've all been given gifts. We've all been given uh, resources, energy, time, talent, treasure, and they're given to us to be used for the kingdom and, uh, and so that we can help to influence and lead other people towards God and towards a, the, the relationship that God wants them to have and being everything that God wants them to be. And then last week, uh, my wife and I were over at the Catawba campus and kind of helping and, and looking and um, encouraging them as they're climbing back into normalcy. Uh, but I did, I did listen to Pastor Scott and then I caught the podcast uh, from Pastor Brandon and he talked about the importance of vision. And how in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, vision is, is God's plan, but it's not always visible with our natural eyes. It's not always something we can see, uh, like we would look at other plans and other, you know, other things that we, we want to step into. But according to the Bible, 1 Corinthians 2 says, vision from God requires the Holy Spirit opening up the mind, our, our mind's eye opening up and helping us to see something that may not be able to be seen from the outside. And it's really important that we open ourselves up to that. In fact, it uses this term revealed or a revelation. And, and the word revealed in the Greek language has always been one of my favorites. It's this word apokalupto. And it, it, it kind of, you know, we, we approach it as Christians uh, as God's got this mysterious box, right? And we want to see what's inside the box. What, what do you have in there? What's your secrets and what's your plans and what's all the wonderful things that, you know, that I might get available to me, but it's just inside this box. But the interesting thing about the word apocalupo that we would miss is it has a directional feel to it. And it does mean to pull back the curtain. It means to take off the lid. It means to show something that can't otherwise be seen but it has a directional connotation to it. And the directional connotation is not to look into something, it's to look out of something. Which tells us that when we wanna see into God's box, God's trying to tell us, you're in the box. You're limited in your ability to see what I want to do because you can see all the natural you know, challenges and, and all the limitations and all, oh, I could never do that. And, and God's trying to get you to see out of the box and say, listen to me, I have a plan and I have a purpose for you that is more than you ever dreamed of. In fact, that's what 1 Corinthians 2 says. Natural eyes can't see it. Your mind will never wrap around it. But if you'll listen to what the Holy Spirit's trying to do, God will do something and begin to develop something in your life that you never thought possible. You never even would have went down that trail. 
But by revelation or by pulling you out of the box, God wants to show you something he's never seen, that you've never seen before and do something into your life. And so the net, once he begins to do that, and we're going to talk about kind of what that means again, and once he begins to do that, the next thing that's really important is that you and I step in or we lean into what God's saying. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean back into your understanding but in all your ways, lean into what God's doing and watch what he'll do. He'll just chart your course and direct you down the path you're supposed to go. And so this is what the whole Bible's trying to get us to understand. Trust the Lord. He's, he's, he's incredible. This is not just a religion. It's a relationship and it's real, real time here on the earth and then supersizes when we get to heaven. And so today we're going to talk about the importance of not just engaging and stepping in and following God, but we're going to talk about what happens once you do engage and the importance of being faithful. So many scriptures in the Bible talk about faithfulness directly or indirectly. And, and here's what the, the New Testament consistently means when it says faithful. It comes from the same Greek word that we get the word faith. And faithful means to be full of faith. It means that we're trusting God, that we're leaning in, that our hope and, and our confidence is in God doing what he promised he would do and, and making sure that it's more than we thought he would do and, and making ways where there doesn't seem to be a way. It comes from the same Greek word. But, but the word faithful shows some action, continued action. And it's talking about a person who actively and wholeheartedly steps in and begins to do whatever's required, whatever's right and required, and that person continues to do it and can be relied on to continue to do it all the way to the finish. That's a faithful person. And so the Bible says a lot about stepping in and starting's great, but being faithful and staying in there is, is by far the more weighty issue that we see in the Greek. Uh, so today we're going to, the title of the message is Faithfulness Before Fruitfulness. Faithfulness Before Fruitfulness. And I want to take us back to a passage that if you've been around for a while, I keep taking you back over and over again because it's so fundamental to our understanding, a relationship with God and how the kingdom works. And so if you like to turn in your Bible, we're going to spend some time in Mark chapter 4. And then we're going to go backwards a few books in the Bible, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25. Bunch of scriptures in the middle, but Mark chapter 24. Let me set the stage for you because we don't have time uh, to go through the whole narrative the way Jesus did, although I wish we did. But in the first 23 verses of Mark chapter 4, Jesus is telling them, and he's giving them several different examples, telling a story, a big parable over again, and leaning into his followers, trying to get them to understand the kingdom of God works like a farm. Now, this is important for you to recognize the kingdom of God is just not the little spiritual circle. The kingdom of God is how life works, how God initiated all of our life to work, starting in a relationship with him. But this ripples out to every single part of your natural life, your emotional life, your mental life, your relational life, your spiritual life, your physical life. Everything is under this kingdom umbrella because God as the king initiated, designed it. So he's saying the whole kingdom of God works on a farm, and listen carefully, everything on a farm works in the principle of sowing and reaping. You plant something, you tend to it while it's growing, and then you harvest the results of that. And this is what Jesus has been teaching for 23 verses. Then in verse 24, he kind of draws a line and says, now, let me show you how to get started in that. 
And then in verse 26, a couple of verses later, he says, and now let me help you to see the importance of staying with it so that it can produce what it's supposed to produce. And this is important, begin, again, because lots of people start something, but they don't finish. They get discouraged and they don't stay in there. And Jesus is spending an entire chapter here helping us to see this is really, really important. Again, so first we're going to look at some scripture. We're going to set something up. Eventually, I'll get to four key, very practical areas that you need to be farming right now. Show yourself faithful so that you could experience fruitful. And uh, depending on the time, we'll either zip right through those because the scripture that we're going to study will already set the precedent uh, or we'll take a little time and we'll look at some uh, practicals in that too. Mark chapter four, though, I'm gonna begin in verse number 24. Again, he's already emphasized the kingdom works like a farm and a farm works in the principle of sowing and reaping. If you don't sow anything, you don't reap anything. If you sow something, whatever you sow, that's what you're gonna reap. So if you sowed cucumbers, but you're hoping for tomatoes, you're fresh out of luck. That's not gonna work. But if you want tomatoes, then sow tomatoes. And that's what's going to come up. And he's trying to get us to understand this is how God designed our life to be in every area. Okay, Mark chapter 4, verse 24. Then he, of course, this is Jesus, said to them, take heed what you hear. Now, this is important because this is the fourth time he said it in 24 verses. Jesus doesn't repeat himself unless he's trying to get you to catch something, pick up on something. He's saying, Pay, pay close attention to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm trying to teach you and what I'm telling you. And, and see, this is really important because again, the kingdom of God, I know I'm being repetitive, the kingdom of God works like a farm. Everything is sowing and reaping. Let me tell you what most Christians are trying to get God to do now. They're trying to get God to give them a tree. And God's handing them seeds and teaching them how to grow trees that will reproduce fruit over and over and over. In fact, not just in your lifetime, you'll pass many of these trees on to the next generation and the generation after that. He's trying to get you to see how do you begin to live a life that will be ongoingly fruitful, but most Christians are you know, begging God, just, I just need a miracle. I just need you to give me this. I just need to do that. And sometimes that, that's a legit prayer. And the first Corinthians chapter nine says, God will answer that prayer, but he's still gonna get back to the sowing and reaping. He'll give you bread, he'll give you a need right now, but he wants to also give you the seeds so you can learn to sow and you can produce your own fruitfulness or allow him to bless it and produce that fruitfulness in your life, right? So Jesus says, okay, pay attention. This is really, really important. And, and he goes on to say this, God's not trying to keep this a secret. This is not some, that's a mystery. And, no, it's not. It's not, that, this part's not a mystery in the kingdom. There is a mysterious component, we'll see it, but this part's not it. In fact, people in every walk of life, not even believing in Jesus, practically speaking, they understand sowing and reaping. They understand you gotta pay your dues in order to reap. They understand if you don't do something consistently and do it the right way over and over again, you can't expect a result, not a good one. So this is not a secret, and he's trying to get them to tie it. But here's what he says. He says, take heed what you hear, and listen to what else. He says, because with the same measure you use, you use what you heard. So he's given you some instruction, some principle. And he said, and to pay attention, because however you decide to use this, he goes on and he says, it will be measured to you, and to you who hear, and by the way, hearing and using now are connected together. He's not talking about just listening and then you, know, you, you forget about it. Hearing and using, he said, more will be given to you. 
Verse 25, for whoever has, whoever has heard and is now putting it into practice is using, he said to him more will be given, but whoever does not have, you don't have because you didn't listen, you didn't hold on to it and you didn't put it into practice. And so it slipped away. You heard something, it kind of sparked inside, and you didn't pay attention to it like he said, and it, so then it just evaporated before you got home and had your you know, late breakfast or brunch, it's already gone. And he said, and, but for those of you who didn't hear or do, do not have, listen to this, even what he has will be taken away from him. I'll never forget the first time I studied this passage, I thought, wow, that's harsh. That's harsh. Here's a guy, he's only got a little bit. But even what he has will be taken away. That's harsh. But Jesus is trying to help us to understand there's a kingdom principle called the law of use. You and I might in pragmatic terms say it's use it or lose it. And again, if the kingdom works like a farm and a farm works in sowing and reaping, then seeds are valuable assets. They're potential. And no farmer in his right mind would keep handing seed to a farmhand who won't go out there and put the seed in the ground. And so even what he's been given, here's your bag of seed, go plant this field. But we find out he's swimming in the creek and he's having a good time and he didn't plant the field. Then the, then the, the Bible says the, the good farmer, the diligent farmer will say, all right, I'm not giving you the seed bag anymore. You can do something else, but you can't do that. And he takes that seed and he gives it to somebody who will put it in the ground. So he's not being mean. He's not being harsh. He's just saying this is the practicality of how the kingdom, remember, all of life. This is how it works right here. Now, let's talk a little bit about the seed to get this fresh in our mind because we need to bring it with us. When we listen to Jesus in the first 23 verses, seeds are the words of God. Many of them written in principle. Some of them prompted on the inside by the Holy Spirit. But they're the words of God. Here's what we, we, we can recognize them practically. Seeds are these tiny little thoughts. They're these moments of inspiration where the lights come on and you can see something on the inside that God wants to do. So maybe you've been asking him, Lord, what's next? Lord, there's another level. I know there's more. And all of a sudden you're in a devotion time or you're listening to a podcast or you're in a service like this and, and a little tiny thought comes on on the inside. Tiny little thought. And, and you can, oh man, I can see that. I can see that. That's a seed. And the question is, what are you going to do with that little seed? According to the kingdom principle, like a farm, if you will take that seed and you will get it into action, that seed will begin to grow and push roots down and it'll begin to develop. And eventually you'll see fruitfulness in your life because of that. But if you don't do that, then the Bible says you'll keep praying the same prayer, you'll keep fighting the same discouragement, you'll keep wishing and hoping and wanting for something to happen, but the problem is you keep having these thoughts and you're not planting or you're not engaging any of them, and so nothing's growing. And there may come a point that out of the mercy of God, God will give you some fruit. But that's just to kind of spark your energy again and get you back in the game because then he's gonna start handing you seeds. Tiny little thoughts. Tiny little insights, like the lights come on. Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, that's exactly what he's saying. Oh, yeah, I really should do that. And so if you engage those, then they're going to get planted, and God puts you on a course, and it begins to, to, to take root and will develop. If you don't, though, 
then here's what happens. And we know this is true, right? If you don't lean into that and you don't intentionally capture it and engage it, then that thought quickly begins to evaporate. The inspiration, you'll talk yourself out of it before you get to lunch. And see, this is how the kingdom's working, and he's trying to understand you need to engage, and then you need to stay full of faith, faithful, that what God whispered to you, what you caught in the scripture, that's exactly how it's going to grow. Now, he's not done talking about this, so let's keep going. In Mark chapter 4, verse 26, it says, and, or, and then, after he finished that, he said, the kingdom of God is as, is as if as a man should scatter seed on the ground. So, in other words, he's putting those thoughts, he had a, he had a thought, he had an insight, he had an idea, he had a mini vision that inspired him to say, oh, I can see that, I didn't realize that that, that was a potential, but man, now I can see that and he got that into practice he said that he should scatter seed on the ground or plant and he should sleep by night and rise by day in other words he didn't just try it one time but day after day after day after day he put that thing in the ground and he engaged it he watched it he watered it he's being patient with it he's being diligent nope that's my plan nope that's what I'm doing nope I believe this is what God promised this is going to work and he just keeps keeps farming keeps farming keeps farming it says and the seed should sprout and grow listen to this but he himself does not know how If you've even tried this one time, if you've even tried it practically, if you've ever tried to plant a tomato plant, and you're like, is it even growing? I mean, is that even working? And you're so tempted after a few days or a week to dig it up to see that something, is is anything happening? Did I mess it up? Did I not plant it, you know, right? Is it too shallow? Is it too deep? Is it too, too much water? Not enough water? But if you be patient... At some point, you'll see this little boop, this little tiny green thing come out, and you'll say, all right, all right, so I guess it's working, So, and that'll kind of spur you on. And this is what he says. Things will grow. God set this system up. They will grow. But you won't always know how. In fact, usually in the initial stages, you don't even know if it's working or not. That's when you need to be full of faith or faithful. No, nope, I know it's working because God said it's working. Now, this is important because I can't tell you how many people, in fact, let me just self-reflect. I can't tell you how many times in me learning and developing my relationship with Christ that I couldn't understand why I was not experiencing the life that God promised in the scriptures. And I found on some of those occasions, oh, because I'm not doing what the Bible says to do. I'm reading it and I'm saying, I I really want to do that. I really wish I could do it, but I had a bunch of reasons why I wasn't doing it. Bottom line is you don't plant a seed, you're not going to get fruit. And then I realized that there were times that I began doing the right thing, but I didn't do it long enough to get the results. I abandoned these little tiny plants and I stopped watering them and I stopped watching over them and I could have had a wonderful harvest of fruit and enjoyed that ongoingly, but instead I abandoned it and so I just wasn't doing long enough and Jesus is saying, you, you, gotta, you gotta stay in here, it's gotta be faithful. Now watch, he's not done, verse number 28. You say, pastor, how do you know, he, but he, he's talking about faithfulness, how do you know that's what he means? Because listen to verse 28, he says, for, or again, Because the kingdom works like a farm, and on a farm, the earth yields the crops by itself. Now, here's where we get messed up. We think that if we'll do the right things, our efforts will produce. No, no, no. Our efforts will put the seed in the ground, and we'll trust the Lord to produce. 
God's the master of, of the universe, right? And he's promised, I set up a system. If you'll just do what I'm telling you to do, put that seed in the ground, it's going to disappear. You're going to splash some water on it. It's going to look like you got nothing but mud. But there's a system that will work if you'll be patient and you'll trust and let it work. And God will go to work. So I know it doesn't make any sense. It's counterintuitive when God says, do this. And you're like, yeah, but I need that. Yeah, just do what I'm telling you. Yeah, but I need that. I know, just do what I'm telling you to do. And God's got a system. If you'll just be obedient and you'll stay in there, that system will grow and produce and, and it will lead you right to what you really needed over here. Sometimes it'll say, yeah, I thought I needed that. What I really needed was that. And, and this is what the Bible is saying. It, it, the, the thing that I love about God, he doesn't ask us to do something that's so far beyond our ability. Walk out in the backyard, dig a little hole, drop a seed in the ground, cover it back up, splash some water on it, go back inside and do what you got to do. Come back tomorrow, splash a little more water on it, and then go do what you got to do. Come back the next day, splash a little more water. Hey, there's a little weed there. Yeah, pluck that weed out so it doesn't mess everything up and keep watering it. If you do that day after day after day, God says, I got a system and I'm telling you this thing will grow. And this is how Jesus is trying to get us to see. And it says, he, again, it says um, that the, it yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that, the full grain in the head. In other words, once you do what God says, it's going to grow, and then you have to be patient. Some people get all excited and see the, you know, it's working, it's working, and they pluck it up and say, let's eat. No, that, that's just the little beginning. That means your, star, your life is starting to turn. But you let it grow a little more, and all of a sudden, your life's starting to get better and better. And then if you keep doing that, at some point, you'll step into a whole different level of life in any area, because this is what God does. In fact, this is what he says. He says, but, verse 20, or and, when the grain ripens, so it's the blade, then the head, then after that, the full grain in the head. And when the grain ripens, then immediately the time's right. He'll put in the sickle because the harvest has come. In other words, you keep on growing, you stay faithful. And at some point, it'll be so obvious, I'm in a different place. I'm just in a different life. And you step across that line and you never go back to that life again. And now the Holy Spirit begins to give you another tiny vision about what the next harvest looks like. Now what do I need to plant? Now I've got all this stuff, and now I take these resources and say, okay, Lord, now what do you want me to do? And this is really important that we understand this because, listen, I just, let me summarize it if I can. God's promise in your life never starts with a harvest. That's what we want, right? So we'll, we'll do what he says one time. All right, where, where's the cash? Where's the wonderful, rich, deep, peaceful marriage? Where's the promotion on the job? Where's the, all these things we, sh we think it should be? God's promise will never start in the harvest. God's promise will get down into the dirt where you're at and will start with a seed. And it will give you the things to water it and it will give you the, the, the tools to, 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 uh, to, to begin to nurture that. But it's always this tiny little vision, this tiny little inspiration. And you have that choice. It's sometimes it's a moment, sometimes it's a little period of time, but you have the choice, am I going to plant the seed or not? And this is what the Bible is saying, so important. <clears throat> and here's the other thing, that when God hands you a seed, most of the time, at that time, it doesn't seem significant. It doesn't even seem connected or related. I can't tell you how many times growing up in ministry that I've been on my face asking the Lord for money and he starts talking to me about budget. No, you don't understand. I, I'll budget if you give me the money. No, I'll give you the money if you budget. 
And, and we, we, I mean, we went back and forth for years with this wrestling match. And, and there were times where he was merciful and he pulled me out of the hole and gave me something, but then he's showing me how to sharpen my stewardship. It's not that I was wild and lavish with my money. He was trying to teach me to steward some things that put the kingdom first and put him in the driver's seat always so I trusted him and I wasn't looking to anybody or anything to finance me. Now, God could use anybody in anything, but I was looking to him always. And he had to train me that way. I'm still growing in that, to be honest with you. But this was a big thing for him. And so he had to help me to understand that. So he, he had to give me these tiny little inspirations, these tiny little visions. And meanwhile, I'm trying to fight off the big boulder that I'm interested in. And he said, no, just do what I'm telling you to do. And little by little, life would grow. And I would realize, wow, I don't even stress out about that anymore because I don't have to. Because he's taught me to grow into a whole different thing. Now, this is important that we track with this. Now, and that sounds simple, right? But in our culture, especially right now, there couldn't be a bigger challenge. Because we live in a culture of consumerism, of convenience. We live in a culture of entitlement. Everybody wants to start at the top. I can't tell you how many business owners or how many employers that I've met, even in the last couple of years, and say, Pastor, here's the problem. I got a job. I mean, I got job opportunities. I, I, I can pay them a pretty decent wage. I'll even train them. Here's the problem. I can't get anybody to show up and just work. Everybody wants to show up and go straight to the top. Everybody wants to be in a management position. Everybody wants to be in some leadership. Everybody wants the total flexibility and nobody wants to pay their dues. And so, so that in some period of time, they can actually reap a whole different life. But nobody really wants to do this. And listen to me, I, I know it because I was kind of there. When I first got into ministry, you know, I, I thought I knew a, a few things. I knew some things about myself. And I thought, I don't know why the senior pastor just doesn't promote me right away. There were moments where I thought, why doesn't he just retire? Because I could do this better than him. You talk about ignorance and arrogance combined. But at the time, I thought this was righteous. You know, it was self-righteous. No righteousness of God. And I can't, there were, the Lord had to humble me over and over again. I was the dean of students at Life Pacific University uh, for a couple of years and then moved into the administrative department uh, and spent some more time there. But I can't tell you what I noticed over and over. Freshmen come in and they're humble and they're hungry for God and they're excited about what the Lord wants to do. But two semesters later, they've had a couple of theology classes and they are as arrogant as they come. They know everything about everything. They're so critical of every ministry and every, well, why don't they just do that? Well, why are they even doing that? And if, if those, those that hung in there and kept allowing the Lord would work with them in the next two years, junior and senior year, you would watch their hearts sober and they would humble again and they would step out and do pretty well in ministry. But I watched this in my tender tenure and beyond in our denomination. Those who didn't when they got out of college, if they even made it through to the end, they didn't last five years in ministry. And they left the ministry, some of them even left the faith. You say, why is that? Because when the Lord puts something in our life, he's not just trying to develop a product, he's trying to develop the person. And sometimes blessings and character development, blessings and, and dedication and heart to the Lord, sometimes those are, are in complete tandem together. And as much as the Lord wants to bless you, he can't. Because blessing you would ruin you. I've watched it. I've watched people that didn't stick to the Lord and went out and chased after things. And they got it, man. Successful in business. Got a great boat. Got a great life. Great house. And stopped coming to church. 
And not only that, their kids didn't grow up understanding the, 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 you know, the reverence of the Lord. And they didn't not only got off course for a generation, they got off course for a couple, maybe three generations before the Lord was able to get their family back on course again. And I'm telling you, this is what the Lord does. This whole thing is not just about growing a blessing. It's about growing you so that you can live in the Lord's blessing. And this is what faithfulness is really all about. And this is why it's, it's really, really important. All right. So let me show you a couple more passages. We're going to work much faster now because you've got a kind of a really good premise out of Mark chapter four, what Jesus was trying to get across. And so Luke chapter 16, uh, we're switching uh, uh, parables and Jesus is now talking about the importance of faithfulness. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that while he's talking about a, a, a thing, an area of life, He's really talking about that developing in you, but he uses three tangible areas to do it. Luke 16, verse 10, he says, if you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. So he's talking about a season of development. I, I, I know that we, we, we catch a vision, you know, God, God's called me to this, and he probably did. But it, you're, gonna, you're here, and you're not going to go there by tomorrow. You're here, and he says, okay, so I've called you to something great, so let, let, let's begin to train you in stewarding something small. And if you do well there, then we'll move you to the next level, and then the next level, and the next level. And so he says, if you're faithful in little things, then you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest, the word dishonest in the Greek is not talking about you know, something inherently evil necessarily. It's talking about if you cheat the system. If you're willing to look for the shortcut, if you're willing to compromise things to get to where you need to get to, that's not honest, that's not honorable. And so he says, if you're dishonest in little things, then you won't be honest with greater notice responsibilities. So the first thing he's saying that while God's growing whatever the thing or the levels of roles and responsibility are, God's growing you in integrity. Are you willing to do the right thing even though it's going to take you a little longer to get this done? Are you willing to do the right thing even though you're going to have to trust God more than you ever have? Because if this thing doesn't work, yeah, but it will work because sowing and reaping always works. And so God says integrity, but he goes on, he says this. He says, and, verse 11, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, then who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? So here, first he talked about integrity. Now he's talking about learning financial stewardship. If you keep praying, I need more money, I need more money, I need to get a better job so I can get more money because we need more money because we want a better lifestyle so we need more money. If it's all about that and God says, I, I don't have a problem. I mean, he, he's a generous God. In fact, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 actually says, if you understand anything about the grace of the Lord Jesus, you'll understand that even though he was rich, he became poor, so that through his poverty, you could become rich. And that whole, that whole thing's talking about natural riches. He does not have a problem with that. that that's, that's not the spiritual measurement of your life. That, that's not the, you know, if I can just get that, no. It, he doesn't have a problem with that. He has a problem when that has you. And so he says, listen, if you can't be trusted with worldly wealth, with where you are right now, if you can't work a budget, and it doesn't mean you have the skills, but if you can't say, Lord, help me to be honorable in whatever finances I have right now, whatever the, if you can't do that, then he says, how in the world will God trust you if, if divinely, supernaturally, he begins to bless your life? It's going to ruin you. And then he goes on in verse 12 and says, and if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? So this is talking about your own ownership, your own promotion, or we could say, how do you do with authority and submission? 
Do you think, well, if I could be the owner, if I could be in charge, then I would do great, but I, I just can't work under somebody else. I just can't listen. Well, then you got a real problem. And so he's trying to grow you. This is all about growing you, but in the process, you're growing stuff and you're growing life. This is the kingdom of God and it works like a farm. All right, let me move you to one more. This is in Matthew chapter 25. And this is gonna put all three of them together. In fact, we're gonna look at verses 14 and 15 just to introduce this story that we don't have time to go through, but I'm gonna get you to the backside of it. Matthew 25, verse 14 and 15, it said again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip and he called together his servants, authority and submission, and he entrusted to them integrity issues, his money, stuff, resources. So all these things are listed right there, okay? And he said he entrusted it to him while he was gone. And notice this, he said he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it, listen to this, in proportion to their abilities. If you study that a little deeper, other translations actually point out, in proportion to their proven abilities. You can make a really strong case that even though one guy got five bags of silver, it's only because he's been doing it for a while because he started at one bag. And he was faithful in the little. And the next time the, the, his, his master or his boss went on a trip, he said, I'm gonna give you two bags this time. Well, now he's up to five bags. But here's another guy who's just, just starting. He's at the bottom of the ranks, but he gets the privilege of having one bag. Okay, I'm gonna get you in the game. Ready? We're gonna do this thing. I'm gonna get, I want to get you to five bags, but here's one bag. And so he gives it to each uh, as, as their ability. Now, let me skip forward in the story. We don't know how much time goes by, but the boss you know, comes back from his trip and he calls in all three of these trusted servants. And the first two did a great job. The first two doubled their money. And we're not told how. Uh, some people say, well, because they were incredibly shrewd and super strategic and really great. Well, they were obviously, you know, ahead in their development or they wouldn't have got more. But all we really know is that they were diligent. They were faithful. They did the best they could with what they were given. And we actually see that because the Lord commends them. And I want you to understand that because once he talks, of, once they tell him, hey, we doubled our money, that's the last time he talks about money. It's not money. It's them. And so he's talking about, you know, in, in they're working to grow an asset, but the boss is wanting to grow the person. And this is God. Now, let me, let me clue you into this is important. This particular parable is not just a parable about the principles of sowing and reaping and us allowing God to develop our life. This is also a parable that reflects to, to what was going on in the context because the man in this story who had servants and who left his gifts, that man in the story is Jesus. And he leaves the earth and he gives his disciples and all of his followers his investments. Here, I'm giving you all this. I'm, I'm giving you callings and giftings and opportunities. And I want you to go sow into the kingdom. But at some point, I'm going to come back. That's Jesus' return. And when he comes back, every one of us as Christians is going to get to stand in front of me and say, okay, so what'd you do with what I gave you? And that, that's the big parable. And you got to see that because there's some great stuff in here when you can see that. All right. So... Verse 23 now, Matthew 25, he's got the two servants in front of him, and we're just going to recap that real quick, and then we're going to talk about the third servant. The master said to each of these servants, but I'm just going to combine them together, well done, my good and faithful servant, 
And there is, there is, you've been faithful. So he didn't even accentuate how good they were. He just said, no, you, you were full of faith. You did what you, the best you could with what you had. You were faithful in handling this small amount. And so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. But now he talked to the, to the last person. He says, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Now, the first thing it tells about this guy, he has no clue how life works. None. No clue. He has no clue who his owner is. There's no relationship there. He's just doing it because it's a job, but he doesn't have any personal invested interest there. This is just kind of what he does Monday through Friday, but he doesn't know anything about his boss, and he certainly doesn't know anything how how the system works because he says, all I know is I keep watching you get richer and richer, and you're not doing anything. Ah, You don't understand anything about how the kingdom works spiritually or practically. But he goes on and he says this, and I was afraid that I would lose your money. In other words, I didn't want to mess up. I, I, whatever I do, I just didn't want to mess up. He said, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money. And so by not wanting to mess up, he messed up as bad as you could because he didn't do anything. I mean, the master might as well have not even given him anything, right? Because he was just as idle as he would have been if he didn't have anything to work with. And so he said, I I didn't want to mess up. And so notice how the master responded. The master replied, you wicked. I remember, again, first studying and thinking, well, how do you get wicked? I I can see where, you know, he was not the best guy and he was lazy, but but how do you get wicked? Well, the, the word wicked here in the Greek actually means to have these actions that demonstrate these huge flaws in your personhood and your character. He was hired to do a job. He was given an investment, and the master said, here, I want you to do the best you can. Invest this while I'm gone, and we'll, we'll see how he did when I, when I come back. And he didn't do anything, nothing. We don't even know what he did do, because he certainly wasn't doing what the master said to do. So he had other things. I'm sure he was busy and probably had a full life, but not with what the master asked him to do. You know that James chapter 4, verse 17 says that when you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's a sin. That's evil. That's wickedness. It's a little tiny thing in your heart. It's not like inherently really bad or, you know, vile, but, but you're, you are, you're, you're contradicting. You're moving away from what you know is the right thing to do. If you don't know, that's one thing. But if you do know, and you're just not doing it, he said, that's really, really evil. But not only that, he said, you're a wicked and a lazy servant. Now, the word lazy here is really interesting, too, because it's not talking about someone who's completely idle. It's actually where we get the English word sluggish. It means someone who was at one point impassioned and excited, but over a period of time just kind of slowed down in their momentum and finally just dropped off. Welcome to what every one of us have experienced. Right? We get a promise. We get a tiny little vision. God sees, oh, I can see that. I can see that. Okay, then I'm all in for like a day, for like a week. Oh, this is taking forever. I don't know if I can hold off. And you gradually begin to slow down. That's exactly what this guy did. And so the master challenges him on this and says, okay, so you think I'm a harsh guy. You think I I reap where I haven't sown. He says, let's just assume you're right. And he takes his line of rationale. He says, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and you gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank Because at least I would have gotten some interest on it. 
That's just fundamentals, right? Why, why would you hide it in your backyard? Why would you stick it in your mattress? At least put it in the bank and come back and say, yeah, I didn't double mine, but I got you like 0.3% interest on it, so at least it's something. But he didn't even do that. Now, now here's what I want you to remember. Jesus is the man. And he left. Listen, the bank in the story is the church. It's the storehouse of all of the giftings and all of the resources and all of the talents and all of the time and all of the treasures of God's people that God blessed them with. And the storehouse is, 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 is the church. And Jesus said, why didn't you at least put it in the bank? In other words, why weren't you at least faithful to stay engaged in church? At least your presence would, would have enriched the atmosphere. At least you would have been engaging in praise and worship and faith would have filled up the room and people would have been inspired. At least that. But see, what we can see from this story is when, when this man got opportunity and no one kind of watching over his shoulder, he did other things. And this is the danger. This is what he's trying to focus on. It has less to do with the money and more to do with the person. And this is what the owner says, verse 28. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. You're like, and I remember reading that thing. Wow, harsh, harsh. Take the one guy and you might at least give him a second shot. But the master's not looking at the money. He's looking at the character. And notice what else he says. He says, for to those who use it well, not perfect, but faithful, learning, growing, didn't have to double it. There was no, like, you know, there was no uh, quantifier and you, you have to hit this goal. Hey, do the best you can. And it says, for, the, for those who use well what they've been given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. The opportunity will diminish. The inspiration will evaporate. You'll be on to thinking about some other thing that you really want and you won't even recognize God's trying to give you the, the, the chance to really experience a fruitful life. But you're squandering it. You're squandering it. In fact, it gets even more serious. Look at what verse 30 says. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is what, it's not teaching that we're saved by works or we are sentenced to a life without God because of our works. That's not what it's teaching. But here's what it is teaching. There's a danger when you keep receiving the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When he keeps talking to your heart he keeps bringing the word of God to life. He's trying to coach you to move over this way or move over that way or step deeper into this. And you keep brushing that off. There's a danger that you're going to create a drift in your life. And that drift in your life could, could create such a current that you'll literally forfeit your eternity with God. It happens. It happens. It happens. It happens. It happens. People that I know that I once sat shoulder to shoulder, we worship together, we studied together are no longer serving Jesus. And this is why, right here. And so he's trying to get across. This is really serious. This, this is a, like a, a really big deal. Uh, Galatians 6, chapters, uh, 6, chapter 6, verse 7 through 9 says, Don't ever be misled. God cannot be mocked. or the, You cannot mock the justice of God. Listen, you will always, everybody say always. always. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, the word sinful here is not evil and vile, it just means that you're mistaken. You, you've got, a, you've got a, a distorted path. 
He said, uh, to satisfy your own sinful nature, we'll harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. You may grow a great business, but when you step out of it, the whole thing will, you know, will fade away and your life was basically for natural things and it doesn't count for the kingdom. You won't leave a legacy for your family. You weren't a great dad. You weren't a great husband. You were, because everything was about the business. And so this is what he's saying. You, you can do stuff in the natural, but that natural will quickly decay and ro- erode away. He says, but those who live to, to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good, aka be faithful. Be faithful. Stay full of faith. Keep doing what God says to do the best you can. Won't be perfect. Get super hard and challenging, but just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And notice this, because at the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get up, give up. You say, Pastor Gil, when's the right time? Well, I can tell you two things. Number one, it's farther away than you think. We always want it like right now, tomorrow, But listen to me, the right time usually corresponds with God developing you the character and the steadfastness and the devotion to him so that when the blessings come, they won't ruin you. You can steward them. And we, it's amazing how, how often those two are connected together. And we're just asking God for bigger and better. And God's asking us for deeper and more authentic so that he can give us bigger and better. The two are not tied together, I'm just telling you. They can go hand in hand. But just because you have bigger and better doesn't mean you're deeper and authentic. And, and God regulates that. This is how his phenomenal system works. All right, so th- this, is, this is kind of the end of the scripture thing. Let me just walk you through some quick points because I'm at the end of my time as well. Four quick points, all right? And I'll give you some references. So if you'd like to take notes, you can study this more. Uh, otherwise, then you can just grab the podcast. Well, it won't be on the podcast, so... Uh, otherwise, you, you can study this out yourself. Four key areas that you can be faithful in, like right now. Number one, be faithful with what you have right now. Be faithful with what you already have right now. I, I, I will say this. I remember when I first began to pursue ministry, I already told on myself, you know, I kind of thought I, had, I brought more to the table than, I, than I, I, I thought I brought more to the table than I actually did. And I couldn't understand why I was getting, wasn't getting promoted faster. And so I began to pray, Lord, just tell me what you called me to. Did you call me to be a senior pastor? Did you call me to work in, you know, in an academic setting? Did you call me to, you know, to, to be in the head of something else? And, and I was trying to understand all this because I thought, if you'll tell me what you want me to do, then I can start working towards that. And the Lord brought me to this scripture, Proverbs 16, 3. He says, no, I want you to commit your works to the Lord and then your thoughts will be established. See, I want my thoughts to be established. Show me the perfect plan, and then I'll start doing that plan. Well, where's the faith in that? He says, no, just do what I'm telling you to do and watch the plan unfold in front of you. And as I began to learn that, boy, it, it was phenomenal. Pastor Brandon, again, has been leading these, these, uh, these discussions in our teaching team. And one of the things he said, I, I wrote down, you know, kind of wrote it down as a quote, but he said, we might not have everything we want right now, but we do have everything we need right now. Because God's given us all the gifts, all the talents, all the ability, all the resources that we need to invest into the kingdom so he can grow the life that he's planned for us. And boy, we, we, we rallied around with that. What a phenomenal statement right there. So number one, be faithful with what you have right now. Number two, be faithful with where you are right now. You know, there's that expression, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. It's not. It's a lie, right? The grass is greener where you water it. And that's just true, right? And so let me just say this. Stop believing in a lie. I can't tell you how many people I've met. I've been guilty at times. Thank the Lord, not as often these days. 
But stop saying things to yourself like, well, if I were just there, if I could just get to that point, then my life would be great. That's just not true. It's not true. You are where you need to be because God's working something in you and he's working something for you. The question is, are you involved in that process? And so if you'll stop believing that lie, and, and listen, unless you have a clear word from the Lord, stop jumping from location to location, job to job, place to place, idea to idea, stop jumping all over the place and stay where you're at and bloom where you're planted. God does things over the long haul. Listen, we're measuring in weeks, God's measuring in decades. This is, these examples are all over the Bible. You know, it, it took Abraham 25 years of walking with the Lord to get to the point where his faith was ready and he was able to, to, to become the father of many nations. It took Moses 40 years out in the wilderness before God tapped him and said, okay, I need you to be the leader of my people. I'll jump to the New Testament. It took Jesus 30 years while he learned by the things that he suffered, while he grew in wisdom and in stature with both God and man before the Holy Spirit said, okay, it's time. And he stepped out into his ministry. Listen to me, stuff doesn't happen overnight. You have to be willing and be patient with the Lord to let it grow. If you'd like to study more, uh, study Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. Paul, Paul gives us a really condensed uh, uh, um, uh, instruction by talking about learning to be content wherever we're at. Because that contentment in times of want and in times of challenge and in times of need and in times of discouragement, learning to be content and hold on to the promise of God, that's developing this character. And finally, in verse 13, he says, because I've learned all of that, he says, I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. It, the, the environment doesn't impact me nearly as much as what the Holy Spirit's saying and what God's trying to do in my life. And this is a really important thing. Number three, be faithful to who you're under right now. I find it ironic in 1 Peter chapter 2 that this gruff apostle, now he's an old seasoned apostle, right? But the guy that gave Jesus, I mean, the hardest time, he's the one who the Holy Spirit chooses to write this lengthy instruction about the importance to, of submitting to all authority. Uh, of all the disciples that the Holy Spirit would say, Peter, write that. I almost wonder if Peter said, seriously, I, I don't want to study that. I'm, I'd rather study something, study something my strength, you know, how to be a, 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 a game changer for God. And no, you're going to write about submission. And he even goes on and said, even if you're under a cruel one, even if you're underneath somebody who's a jerk, somebody who doesn't care anything about you or your life, they don't care whether you develop or not. He says, because if you do that as unto the Lord, you do that trusting God, he says that's commendable. And the word commendable is really great because it comes from the word caris, where we get the word grace and favor all the way through the New Testament, which tells you this. If you will learn to submit to people, even if they don't, they don't have your best interest in mind, if you'll learn to work that submission and keep your trust in God and say, I'm doing this because this is the integrity, this is the right thing to do, this is what God's asked me to do. If you'll learn to keep working that, then the Bible says, number one, God pleased, but it also tells us that he'll release the grace you need to keep enduring and to just keep walking through that until the season's over. And he'll also release his favor so the blessings of God will come just like they said. In fact, if you'd like to go, you can look at Hebrews 13, verse 17. That talks about the same thing when you're in a godly context. So those of you that are still under parents, 
those of you that are in, in church relationships, maybe you have a mentor, maybe somebody who's speaking into your life, these godly relationships. And here's what it says. It says, listen to them. Walk down the paths they're trying to point you to. Don't make it hard on them. And listen, here's the climax, because that would be bad for you. For me, well, yeah, it's hard on them too, but it's bad for you because they can't give you everything that God wants them to give you because you're just, you know, you're in and out of the game. It says stay faithful and stay in there. That was number three, be faithful to who you're under right now. Here's the fourth one, and we wrap up here. He says, be faithful to who you're over right now. This is a really great challenge to dads and moms, to, you know, bosses, to teachers, to mentors, and anybody who's taken on the responsibility to help shape and to help move somebody else's life. And I'm just going to tell you this, okay? Uh, None of us are perfect. It's amazing to me that God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. That's just amazing to me. Right? I, I was so self-aware of what an imperfect dad I was, and yet I'm responsible to raise these perfect kids. At least that's what I thought. But listen, you stay faithful and you do the very best you can. You stay humble before the Lord. And, and the Bible says that God comes in in His grace and His favor and the Holy Spirit makes up the difference. So you don't have to bear all that responsibility. But let me just encourage you with this. When I say be faithful to those that you're over, stop focusing on the challenges and the frustrations of the schedule, the management, and you know, you're trying to work out those characters. Stop, stop focusing on what's frustrating. And use Jesus as an example and keep reminding yourself, my job is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit because I'm helping this life to become everything that God's called him to be. It's messy. But let me tell you, if you think that's messy, you should stop and realize how messy it is it's been for God to try to get you where you're supposed to be. That's messy. That required a lot of patience, a lot of forget. Okay, let's go through this one more time. But, but he always does. What I love about the Lord, one of my favorite theme verses, and this will be the last thing I'll say to you, 2 Timothy chapter 2, you have to go read it. I think it's down in 11, 12, 13. But it talks about the fact that even when we are faithless, that God doesn't drop out of the game. Even when we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. That's just who he is. He's a faithful God. He's going to be faithful when you're not. I can't tell you how many times I've grabbed that and used it to tie a knot at an end of a rope when I realize I have not been doing what I'm supposed to do. I haven't been out to the fields in a long time. I'm not planting any seed right now. I'm just trying to survive and I'm just, or I got distracted and I'm doing this and that. And I've come back to the Lord and say, Lord, I've, I've not been faithful. I've not been faithful. And I'm depending on your mercy and your grace because you're always faithful to stay with me now. Don't, don't toss me to the side. Stay with me. Get me back in the game. Show me how to get my tools out and get back in there and begin to farm. And I'm telling you, every single time, God does what he promised he would do. So I don't know where you're at this morning. It doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. It doesn't matter where you're at or where you're not at, that you want to be. It doesn't really matter who you're under right now or who's under you. Listen to me. God has an incredible place, an incredible story for you. But the whole kingdom of God works like a farm. What are those little tiny inspirations he's been whispering to you? What are those little things that keep coming up over and over again? What's the scripture that rolls up in your heart? What's the song that you're singing when you first open your eyes before you're even conscious of the day? Something's rolling around in your heart. What are those things that the Holy Spirit's trying to get to your attention? Those are the things that if you'll put those into practice in your life, they're going to cause you to develop and to reap a fruitful life if you'll stay faithful, faithful, faithful to the Lord. 
Hope you've been blessed by God's word this morning. Close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy that you really are faithful even when we've been unfaithful. I pray that the mercy and the grace, the tenderness of the Lord, the kindness of God would lead every single one of us into or back into the place where we're supposed to so we can be developing. Lord, don't let any of those tiny visions, those inspirations be lost on us today. Don't let us get too excited and try to get to the top as fast as we can. But Lord, instead, help us to humble our hearts and help us to follow you one step at a time, one little seed at a time, one idea, one adjustment at a time, so that you could bring us into the fruitful life that pleases you and that you promised to us. We thank you for all of this, and we entrust it in your care. for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.